Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, January the 30th, 2023. It is currently 9.19 p.m. Central Time. For some weird reason, I was going to say it's 9.19 a.m., why do I think it's 9.19 a.m. Central Time? I do not know why. It's obviously not 9 o'clock in the morning. Let's try this again. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. It is Monday, January the 30th, 2023. It is currently 9.19 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where we're currently under a winter storm warning. Yes. But I don't I don't really want to talk about the winter storm warning. I, I I'm not really even interested in the winter storm warning. Let's let's talk about faith. Let's talk about discernment. Let's let's continue our study and discussion on discernment, which this week brings us to the subject of faith. It will all make sense, hopefully, before this week is over. I've tried to give people a little bit of time to kind of continue to work on the word study method on discernment. Yes, everyone's doing that. But I, I've also kind of been waiting, waiting for people to engage in the conversation about the connection between discernment, conviction, and faith. And I know that this is really kind of the, the first week we've really got to the faith part of this discussion. But hopefully we'll put this all together and we'll just have a fun evening. Now, tonight is not really so much about me doing specific teaching. Tonight more is about just having a discussion, trying to get you involved, trying to get you thinking, and hopefully it will be beneficial. If for some reason this is your first time to ever tune in and listen, this is the Theology Central Podcast, and this is what we call the Bible Study Exercise Series, where I try my best to get you, the listener, to get off the couch, to put down the Doritos, to go over to a table, a desk with a Bible, pencil, notebook, reference tools, and to actually engage in meaningful Bible study yourself. I simply try to kind of guide and direct you. We have curriculum. I give homework. Uh, you send it to me. We talk about it. We discuss it. And the goal is to really get you studying the Bible. I do this in, uh, the, as far as the podcast is concerned, sometimes I come in and do serious teaching. Sometimes I just kind of like, well, what about this? And what about that? And well, I don't really know. Like, Maybe it could be, maybe it couldn't be, so that you'll be like, oh, I, I know, and then you'll you'll actually get involved in the study. And for we're currently in the middle of basically a seven-week study on the subject of discernment. I've given everyone to uh, do the word study method on the topic, on the word discernment. And uh, hopefully, again, a lot of you are working on that and have done a considerable amount of work already. Some are getting very close to being done. So I'm very appreciative of that. That is wonderful. That is great. Uh, but uh, we've also been kind of working, uh, while that's been going on, the curriculum has taken us kind of this weird path, right? They had us in Genesis, where we looked at really discernment and how Satan was the one really using the serpent, used discernment in a sense, in a negative way. He was more subtle, and we talked about how, depending on the various spellings, you can go with subtle, more subtle 
that uh, it can lead to the concept of discernment. So Satan really is the first example of using discernment in the garden to get Eve to turn away from all the things she could have to that which she was not supposed to partake in. Then we went to Acts 2, which was kind of interesting that the curriculum led us there. That was supposed to be about being convicted. It led us into now these other studies that we're doing on baptism. So those kind of came from this. But the conviction part, I wanted to take just a few minutes to talk a little bit more about that. Now, uh, we've really tried to establish this. For the Christian, discernment must come from, must be based on solely the Word of God. That's where our discernment must come from. And we always have these other things impacting our discernment, trying to drive our discernment, or being the greatest influence in our discernment. And we saw that kind of in First John about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life can greatly impact it. But for us as a Christian, it's the Word of God, and our we discern based off what the Word of God says, not feeling, not intuition, not not some still small voice, but based off the Word of God alone. Now, that discernment, once we discern what it says, I think there's really two concepts here, and we didn't spend a lot of time on this. We didn't really think about this, but I want to at least throw this out there. We should be convicted, right? In other words, feel, feel conviction by what it says because it will demonstrate how we fall short. That's why we have to be saved by an imputed righteousness because we always fall short. So, discernment should lead us to being convicted by the word of God, because it gives us God's standard and God's truth and God's holiness, which we know we fall short of. But I think once we discern what it says, we should, I think, I want to use convicted in a different way or conviction in a different way. In fact, if we look up the word conviction, we didn't spend any time thinking about this. We didn't. I feel kind of bad, but let's do this. I'm going to go here. Look up the word conviction, conviction definition, and it is a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a criminal offense made by the verdict or jury, all right, a firmly held belief or opinion, right? So we we kind of focused on conviction being like, I feel guilty, being convicted. So we discern what God's word says, and then we are convicted by it. But it also carries this idea of a firmly held belief or, or opinion. So in other words, we discern what God's word says right? But then we have a conviction that it is true. We have a conviction that it is accurate. And we didn't really explore that part of how that connects to discernment. We discern the word of God. We discern what it says. We, We discern its meaning. We understand it. And then we are convicted by the truth of it because we always fall short of the truth of it in some way, shape, or form. But then we are convicted that it is true. So there is discernment, there is conviction, but this week the curriculum wants us to look at the concept of faith, of faith. And I've been trying to figure out how do we connect? I can see the connection between discernment and conviction. That makes perfect sense to me, perfect sense. But what is the connection between discernment and faith? I have some ideas. I have some ideas and... If we had a bunch of people here, like right here in this room, I would probably, you know, throw some things out and get people talking about it. Um, uh, it, w- it would be good um, on the Discord channel to go into the voice channel and have everyone discuss it because I think I think there is a 
I think there's an interesting part to this that I, I, I don't know if I'll get to it tonight, but trust me, I, I'm just going to kind of leave it there. I want you to think about what is the connection between discernment and faith? What is that correlation? What is the connection? And it would be interesting to see which way people go. I think there's a couple of ways you could go. And some of them I think I would reject. But let's see what the curriculum wants us to do. In the curriculum, in session three, they entitle it, Does It Call You to Trust God? In other words, when trying to discern something, they were like, does it basically, does it bring conviction? And of course, I think there's a couple of other ideas. But does it call you to trust God? And there I'm not... I don't like the way they're going with this. I don't like the way they're going with this because basically how they're, basically the way they, th- this can be, okay, let's let's just talk about this. I, I didn't really want to get into this, but let's talk about this. All right, here's how some Christians could draw the correlation between faith and discernment. And I need you to hear me because I think it's manipulative. I think it's evil. And I think we need to be careful of. Here's how some people play this game. All right. Just see if you've ever experienced this in your church life. I know I have. And it and it really it bothered me greatly to see how it played out. But it goes something like this. Because in many cases, when people refer to discernment, they they connect discernment to trying to discern the will of God. And they talk about discerning the will of God in some kind of mystical way that it's like, okay, all right, I know I have my Bible, but I have to discern now what God wants to do about which house to buy, which job to take, where to move, who to marry, who to date. And it's, and, and at some point it moves away from the word of God. Now they'll say, yeah, look to the word of God, but sometimes the word of God doesn't give you specifics. So then you have to now pray and listen to a feeling, to an internal voice, a dream, a vision, who knows what, something mystical. This is very prominent, obviously within the charismatic world, but it's, it's definitely influenced the non-charismatic world. And obviously, you know how I feel about charismatic theology. I'm, I'm completely opposed to it, but this is, such a subjective mess, right? So, so what happens is there's always these books, how to discern the will of God, how to know the will of God. And they give you all of these supposed principles and ideas to, so that you can figure it out. But I've watched it so many times. People are like, this is the will of God. And then you're like, well, what happened? Because not only did you abandon it, the whole thing blew up because you said that it was God's will, but this is it, because it's just so subjective. You're trying to figure out a feeling or an emotion. There's nothing objective by it. The way it should work is we discern what God says in his word through proper methods of interpretation. What do words mean? Context, syntax, historical background. Who is it written to? Those things. But it turns into, okay, I know I've got the Bible, but now I've got to discern all of this right? I got to discern all of this. So the curriculum is in a sense following this this way of thinking, right? Okay, we've got to discern. Now, how do we discern? Well, does it bring conviction? Does it have that feeling of God's powerful convicting, convicting you that it's true or convicting you that it's a sin. So, so you, you feel for a, a feeling, like a conviction is a feeling, it's an emotion. Well, Emotions change constantly, and just make sure you know you can be convinced or convicted that something is true that is false. You can be convicted that something is wrong that's not wrong because you are convicted based off fraudulent information, wrong information, misinterpretation, or just bad feelings. 
So already that's questionable, but when it comes to this one, I get really nervous. So this is how it works. This is how many play this game, right? This is not really the direction I wanted to go tonight, but this is where we are. So we're going to talk about it. Some say do something like this. How do you discern God's will for your life? Well, does it call you to trust God? Hey, you discern God's will this way because it's going to require that you trust God, that you have faith. That's the path. You, you don't take the path that doesn't require faith. You have, to, you have to take the path that requires faith. That's the will of God. So this is the way I've seen the game played. And I'll just give you tangible examples. First Bible Institute, Papillion, Nebraska. Most of the men in that church were former military. They had been in the military. They were young in the military, had not, not, not even really established a career yet. They were like in their first enlistment. They had families, so they had bills to pay, and they had all of this to go. But they started feeling like maybe God was going to call them into ministry, or they wanted to go in the mission field, or they wanted to be a pastor. So basically, this is the way it works. How do you discern that's what God wants you to do? Well, that path is going to require it's going to require that you trust God. It's going to require that you have faith. So you know what you need to do? You need to get out of the military. You need to get out of the military. And then you need to go to the Bible Institute and you need to attend church. And then sooner or later, God will get you into the ministry. So these men who had a career, medical, all their medical coverage taken care of, all of their bill, basically, you know, money to take care of their family, all of the health benefits that come with the military, educational benefits that come with the military. They had all of this. And instead of waiting, no, 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 they had to get out. Why? Because it obviously had to be God's will that they get out of the military because which required more faith? Stay in the military and, and benefit from the security that the military brought you or get out of the military so that you can show that you trusted God. All of these men had gotten out of the military. And guess what? They were having to work two, three jobs just to support their family. They were struggling financially. They had no, they had no benefits, obviously, from uh, for health coverage. In many cases, had to use some, some other kind of government assistant program because they couldn't pay their bills. Why? Because they got out of the military, because they were trusting God. Wait, wait, you had God in a sense, you had a job, you had everything. You were stationed right there. You could have still gone to school. You were right there. No, no, no. They got out. They got out. They got out. They got out. Of all the people who got out, I believe only one made it to the mission field. I don't think anybody else went into ministry. They all got out. I don't think any, anybody else even made it. I didn't get out. I'm like, you're out of your mind. I'll, I'll be in the military. I'll go to school. I'll get all of my education for ministry. I will. And I, and guess what? I did not get out of the military and I made it into ministry. Now, I'm not saying I made the right path and they, they, I made the right, right path and they, they chose the wrong path. What I'm saying is that they were manipulated into giving up what they had because supposedly you knew God's will by which required to have more faith. That, that is so manipulative because first of all, there's nothing in the scripture that says quit your job, right? This is what, this is what you have to do. Now, some will say, well, Jesus told them to sell all of their possessions. Well, obviously nobody, we, we under, we understand what's going on there. That was to demonstrate our lack of ability to do what God calls us to do. And that's why we need to be saved by an imputed righteousness. But there's this mentality that, okay, 
Okay, this is what you need to do. Okay, you need to do this because see, it's going to require more faith. And whichever requires supposedly more faith has to be the will of God. And I will say this. You want to know the will of God for your life? Read scripture. That's what you do. You read scripture. And whatever scripture says, that's what you do. You say, well, what about all of these other areas in life where the scriptures aren't specific? All you do is make sure you're not doing anything that violates scripture, right? You just make sure you're not doing anything. In other words, obviously, you know, whatever you're doing, as long as it's not violating a clear command or a clear prohibition, then you can do so. I don't think we look for, wait, where should I park? Which house should I buy? And all, because it's just subjective nonsense. Where everyone claims God gave them direction, God told them. And in many cases, it just ends horribly. It just goes horribly, horribly wrong. Don't let someone come along and say, that has to be the plan for God for your life because that requires more faith. And if it requires more faith, it has to be God's will. I, I just, that is so manipulative. It, it makes you feel like you're being super spiritual when in many cases you're just making a horrible, unwise decision that is detrimental to yourself, to your family, to your future, and to everything else. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times you're led into a situation where you may have to take a path that requires great faith. I'm not saying that that's never the case, but you don't try to determine this the will of God and based off some subjective standard that's just arbitrarily given to you going, well, does it call you to trust God? Well, obviously, that's the way you must go. That's what you have to do, right? That's what you have to do. You know, um, oh, it's, I'll give you, I'll, I'll just throw, a, uh, this is a crazy idea, but I'll just throw this idea. Well, you should get that house because that's going to require you to trust God for the finances far more than that house. But you should take that job because see, that would give you this freedom, but it's going to, it's going to make you trust God far more for the pay for, for God to provide for your family because that job doesn't provide near as good as that job. Like sometimes it's very like you just, you're making really bad decisions, but you're doing so under the disguise under of, of faith. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated like that. And churches play that game. Now, is this where the curriculum is going to lead us? Well, we will see. So in that case, again, discernment is determined by what God's word says. Discernment is not determined by, well, wait a minute. I've got two decisions. I'm, now I'm going to be a little bit over the top, hyperbolic, but just to get the idea. You see, I've got two bottles of water here. Which one, which one is God's will for me to drink? Which one is God's will for me to drink? This one just says Aquafina, right? Pure water, perfect taste. This one says Aquafina containing 99% rat poison. Well, you know what? The rat, po the rat poison is going to require far more faith to drink than the one that says pure. I'm going to drink the rat poison because it requires more faith. And I know that's over the top and ridiculous, but that's almost how some Christians think. And and typically, you know, it's like I, I've watched this work in faith, uh, faith promise missions. Well, you know, look, you'll know what God God's will is for you to give for faith promise missions because it's going to require faith. Like if, if you say you're going to give $10 to missions 
and you've got plenty of money, that's that can't be God's will for you. God's will is going to be when you're giving 500 when you don't even think you can afford 100. Now that's faith promise missions and then you will try you promise $500 a month and you trust that God will give you it's just weird things like that I've seen and I've seen that actually play out in the church. And then you do everything you can to keep that promise. I've seen don't don't pay your bills first, pay your promise first. I've seen if you have to use a credit card, I, I've literally heard this said in churches and you're like, because why? How do you know God's will? The thing that requires you to trust God the most, the thing that requires the greatest amount of faith. And this just, oh, there's so many problems with it. So many problems. Some of you'll be able to relate. You have your own stories. I would love to hear them. I mean, it may make me very sad that you went through it. But we've got to protect ourselves from that kind of craziness. I reject it. But let's see what the curriculum does here, because I have a feeling there's going to be a little bit of that mixed into this. I mean, just the fact that it's called, does it call you to trust God, tells me which direction they're going. How do you, how do you discern God's will? Does it require you to trust God? Whichever requires you to have the most faith, that's going to be God's will. And again, this, is, this leaves scriptural revelation, and this goes to trying to figure out God's will outside of scripture, which I, of course, reject. Let's see where they go with this. All right, here we go. The Bible meets life. They start with a story. I served as the president of the Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary for 13 years. In my second year, God orchestrated a series of events that led us to take a huge step of faith and build a new academic building. This was an enormous project that more than doubled our facilities. It would cost far more money than we had ever raised or spent before. We had no money available for the project, so it would all be by faith. The Lord did not give us all we needed at the beginning. Rather, as we took each step, God granted us enough funds for the next stage of building. At times, we could not continue working unless additional funds were received. But right on schedule, a check would arrive for just what we needed. Some wondered why God would not give us all the money we required at the outset, but we learned a valuable lesson in that process. Everything God does in our lives is designed to increase our faith in him. We knew what God wanted, and we trusted him to work. See, we knew what God wanted. How did we know what God wanted? Well, because we had some feeling. And then guess what? You know why we knew God wanted this? Because this was going to require the most amount of faith. We didn't have the money, but we knew that had to be God's will because, well, we didn't have the money. Uh, Which house should you buy? Well, obviously the one you can't afford. Obviously the one you don't have the money for because God will give you the money. You know how many Christians have followed that kind of advice and end up declaring bankruptcy or some kind of other financial disaster happens? Because, hey, hey, this has to be God's will. They get manipulated into this. Other under the guise of being super ultra spiritual. We open God's word. We read it. We discern what it says. Everything outside of that, the only thing we do is like, is that a violation of scripture? Is Is that a violation of any prohibition? And no, it's not. Okay, then I can do that. It's not like I gotta, I gotta wait for some kind of, Feeling it, that's just, I I don't know how Christians live their lives that way, but it's subjective, emotional craziness. And I've watched disaster after disaster after disaster after disaster happen, happens. But let's see where they go next. 
Next, they quote Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it from the Bible, uh, from the translation they're using in the curriculum. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, I think in some ways this, I think it's interesting that when I read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, my mind immediately sees a possible connection between discernment and faith. But let's just see what the curriculum does. And, and maybe we'll have to wait till the next time we cover this maybe tomorrow or Wednesday, whenever we do another live broadcast for the Bible study exercise series, we will discuss it. But mainly I want to just spark conversation about a lot of these things. All right, but here we go. This is what the curriculum says. And all I really care is just to get this paragraph and really kind of just chop it up a little bit and see what we, what we think about this. I quote, we cannot see God with our physical eyes, but he is real and wants to have a close personal fellowship with us. God is spirit, and he resides in a heavenly world that is beyond our comprehension. God's ways are entirely different and superior to our thoughts and ways. This makes our interaction with God entirely different from any other relationship. Because of these factors, we must have faith if we were to relate properly to God. Faith is confidence and trust that something is true. Faith is the substance substance of things hoped for. Our faith gives us assurance that what we will believe will become a reality. Oh, no, we got to stop right here. All right, now, we got, I need you to stay with me here. Hopefully, I don't lose anyone, but this is important. When we consider faith, is faith, as they describe it, does it, is faith there to give you an assurance that what you believe will become a reality? I believe this and it's going to become a reality because I have faith. Faith gives me the assurance that what I believe will become real. And I, 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 I you see, you see where that's going? All right. See, I believe this. I have faith. So it will be a reality. It's almost like I have faith faith that God wants me to build this building for the seminary. And because I have faith, now I have the assurance that it will become real, that we will get the money. This becomes very word of faith thing to me. I believe, I believe that God's going to heal me of cancer. And my faith gives me the assurance that it will become a reality. I'm, whoa, 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 whoa. I, hmm. I'm not so, I, I'm not a fan of that concept. My, my faith doesn't give me the assurance of what I believe will become a reality. My faith is that I have faith in that what God says is true in his word. That I'm, I am placing my belief in that, my trust in that, that I'm trusting that it is, whether I understand it or not, but I'm trusting it's my faith doesn't make something become real. My faith is in what God says is real, whether I can see it or not. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I can't see that. I can't witness that again. But by faith, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I can try to look for certain things to try to give me some assurance. I can try to look for things. But ultimately, I can't 1,000% prove with any, you know, tangible. I know Christians try to, but I can't like just, hey, here, I can prove it. No, God's word declares that God created the world. By faith, I trust and believe in that. But my trust and belief doesn't make it real. I'm taking what God's word claims and I'm placing my faith that it is real. It's not that my faith brings it about. The way they, the way they wrote it was this. Let me read it to you again. Our faith gives us assurance that what we will believe will become a reality. No, I, no, my faith doesn't give me the assurance that something will become a reality. My faith is in what God's word has declared and I'm trusting it, whether I can see it or understand it or not. I'll, I'll give you an example. The, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration by God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good work. The Bible claims that the, the, that, that the scriptures are all inspired by God, that they're profitable. And because they're inspired by God, then we believe them to be true. We uh, believe them to be infallible. We believe them to be inerrant because they came from God. Now, guess what? I cannot 100% prove that the scriptures are inspired by God. What I can do is prove through certain things that they are trustworthy, that they can be, that I can, tr that, that when they talk about certain places or people or events or historical things, that it's accurate. There's certain things I can prove. I can, I can look at maybe prophecy. I can look at certain things. That only gets me to the level of a, a certain level of certainty. It can't get me to where I can, I can prove to you the Bible's inspired by God. That's what Christians always say. I can prove to you, I can win a debate that scripture is inspired by God. No, you can't. All you can do is prove that the Bible is trustworthy. It's a trustworthy document when it speaks of history. I can't prove that. That requires a level of proof that I don't have. I can't prove that. So what the Bible declares, so think of it, the Bible says and declares that it's inspired, that the scriptures are inspired. God breathe. Now by faith, I believe that to be true, even though I cannot 100% dogmatically prove that. I can prove that the scriptures are trustworthy. So I, I, the Bible declares God as creator. I can't prove that to be true. There are certain things that I think may give, obviously it doesn't make any sense that nothing, that there's got to be some, something behind everything that we see. An accident doesn't really seem to explain it, but even that only gets me maybe to theism, doesn't get me to the biblical God. So uh, once again, the Bible declare, I discern what it says. I'm convicted that it's true. And then by faith, I believe and trust in it, even though I can't see and 100% prove it. But it starts with what God declares. I understand it. I'm convicted that it's true. And by faith, I trust in it. It's not that, oh, look, I have faith that God is creator. So that will become a reality because I believe it. I believe this to be true. So it becomes a reality. My belief, my faith in something doesn't make it a reality. My lack of faith 
or my the presence of faith doesn't make something become a reality. I am simply, from a Christian perspective, God's word declares it. I'm convicted that it's true and I trust and believe it's true whether I can see it or not. It's not that our faith gives us assurance that what we will believe will become a reality. They go on to say, when we know the character and power of God, we believe that God has promised um, uh, and we believe what God has promised, then we can be assured that God will do what he said. Now, if you're talking about scripture, if you're talking about scripture, then we're in agreement. But remember, their first illustration had nothing to do with scripture. They believed it was God who wanted them to build the building. And then they had faith. And then that building became a reality and they got the money they needed. That's, that's, no, 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 no. That's, that's the manipulative thing. Yes. When God says, that something is going to happen. I may not be able to prove it, but I, by faith, trust in it. And yes, if God promised, then I believe it will come to pass. It will true, but not because I believe it. It's going to come to pass whether I believe it or not. My faith does, is not an assurance that it will become a reality. Faith is just a trust in that that's going to become a reality whether I believe in it or not. It's not my faith that causes it to happen. Uh, they go on to say, uh, in the Bible, faith is always God-centered. The writer of Hebrews does not encourage us to have faith in ourselves or in our own desires, but in God. We cannot always make our own dreams successful, regardless of how hard we work to that end. But faith in God is always required. It is not the power of positive thinking, for we are limited in, in how much we can make our thoughts become a reality. God, however, can bring every one of his purposes to reality in our lives. When we place our faith in him, we can be absolutely confident that he will do what he has said. As long as you leave what he said in the scriptures alone. If you don't do that, then it becomes this manipulative thing. My faith does not produce a reality. My faith is trusting in a reality that's been declared by God. Right? In fact, well, I'm going to read. I'm going to read Hebrews 11 from a number of translations, or at least two translations. One. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Now, um, okay. Um, let's look up the word hope. Let's look up the word hope. Let's look up the word hope. I'm going to go to Hebrews 11. I just went to the wrong chapter. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, the word hoped of things hoped for, it's a, a really a phrase coming from one Greek word. It's this. This Greek word. Strong's G, 1679, Elpizo. Elpizo. Elpizo, Jews 32 times, trust, hope, hope, things hoped for. Strong's definition, to expect or confide, all right? Elpizo, it's to hope in a religious sense, to wait for salvation with joyful and full confidence. So it, it's, it's not just like, oh, I hope it will happen. It is, think of it this way. Now, faith is the reality of what is... Uh, we could say what we are waiting for, what we're looking for, what we have confidence. We have confidence that it's true. We have confidence that it's going to happen, but we don't have any way to necessarily 100% prove it. 
Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. So in other words, the Bible declares certain things. Again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I cannot 100% prove that in any way, shape, or form. I cannot, I can try to demonstrate some problems maybe with other theories. I can demonstrate that it only makes sense that there's a creator because it, it just, it, nothing else makes any sense. I can, I can make certain arguments, but I can't get all the way there. So here I discern that the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. All right. That's, I discern it. I am convicted that that is true. Then I place my trust and faith in it. And that faith then becomes, as the text says, that faith, if I can go back to it, that faith, becomes the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of, of what is not seen. That, in other words, there comes a level where faith steps in. And fa- we have to understand when it's faith, it's it's an evidence of something hoped for. It's a, it's a reality of what is not seen. It's not seen. We can't prove it. We are demonstrating faith in it. And sometimes Christians forget that element because sometimes like, no, 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 it's faith, but we can prove it. No, 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 no. You you can't prove it dogmatically. There comes a point where you can't, you, like, you can, you can have this argument. Even in apologetics, you can provide evidence to get you to a certain level of trust, but faith has to come in at some point. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Again, we can argue using manuscript evidence, using fulfilled prophecy, using lots of things, we can say, we can prove that it's somewhat trustworthy, but to say, to prove that it's inspired by God, we cannot ultimately prove that. That is something that we can only accept by faith. We can get to a certain point, then faith becomes the reality of what is hoped for. It is the proof of what is not seen. Now, our faith doesn't produce the reality. The reality is declared by God in his word. We discern what he says by the words that are used. We have conviction that it is true. Then by faith, we grab onto it. We trust in it. We, we, are, we are confident in it. We have a confidence there. That, and we buy, and we have this hope, this confidence that it is true and that it will, if it's a promise, that it will come to pass. As long as we correctly understand it. Again, some people will take a, and I'm not just, I, I'm saying again, but it's the same concept that we've talked about. Some people will take some promise in scripture and say, I have faith in that promise. Well, having faith in that promise is not going to make it a reality for you if that promise is not given to you. So we have to use discernment to go, wait a minute. That's a promise to those coming out of Babylonian captivity. When it says, God, I know the plans I have for you to bless you, not to harm you. That is referring to those coming out of Babylonian captivity. I can't claim that for mine. But now, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. That faith is not going to make that a reality. Right? You can't be like, your, your wife can't get pregnant and you read about Abram and Sarai and, and God promises them a baby. You can't claim that promise for your own because, well, you're not Abram or Abraham or Sarah or Sarah. Their names were changed, obviously. You can't do that. Your faith won't make that a reality. We discern the reality of what God claims in Scripture 
That's discernment. We conviction, we are con- either convicted by it because it condemns us or we're convicted of its truth. Then we have faith and in it. We put our trust and confidence in it, knowing that what it says is true by faith. But yet we may not be able to prove it. Because faith is the reality of what is hoped for, proof of what is not seen. Don't get confused by how faith works. It's not like, okay, there's almost this whole separate world of Christianity that goes like this. Okay, oh, okay. What am I, okay, I'm discerning. I I believe God is is gonna tell me to do this, whatever this is. He's gonna tell me to do this. All right, now, that's what God's telling me to do. I know that's what he's telling me to do. All right, how do I know that he's telling me to do that? Well, because it requires faith. All right. This requires great faith because everything seems to tell me that this is not going to work. All right, I'm going to trust in God. And because I'm trusting in God, it's going to become a reality. So I'm buying a house that I can't afford. I'm quitting my job because that requires the most faith. I'm going to do this, do this because this makes the most sense because I'm having faith. And then we sit back and expect it to become a reality. No, unless scripture says this is the way it is. That's what we put our, our faith is in what God has declared. Now, that faith means I'm trusting this to be true. I'm, I'm, I'm relying on this to be true, even though I cannot 100% demonstrate and prove it. I cannot 100% demonstrate and prove to anyone that Christ has imputed his righteousness to my account and before him, I'm perfectly holy and righteous. I cannot prove that to anyone, but God has declared the the idea of imputed righteousness in his word. I have discerned it. I am convicted by it. And then I put my faith and trust in my salvation is my faith alone, not not by works. There's no place for me to boast. And I am saved by an imputed righteousness accredited in my account. I may not be able to prove that. So at that point, it becomes, faith becomes the reality of what is hoped for. I am confident and trusting in an imputed righteousness. And it's the reality of what is not seen. I can't show anyone that. I can't demonstrate that to anyone. I can show scripture, but it, it requires faith to believe that. Again, I can only get so far through earthly means, earthly arguments, debates, proof, evidence, but faith has to kick in. So there's a Christianity out there that says we discern God's will through the most mystical, subjective things under the sun. And one of the ways you know it's true is it requires the most faith. Then I put my faith in it, and then that will become a reality. That is not the way it works. Faith, this is how it works. We discern what God says in his word using proper hermeneutical and biblical interpretive principles. We are convicted by it because it may show us our sin and we are convicted it is true. Then I, by faith, believe and trust in that that has been declared by God. It's not going to make it so, but I am trusting in the word of God. And if I've understood it correctly, then yeah. Well, even if I don't understand it correctly, whatever the reality is will become the reality with or without my faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Now, why am I hoping for it? Because God's word says it. My faith grabs onto that trust in it. It's the reality of what is not seen. What is not seen? In other words, not seen with my human eye, human observation, or human evidences. 
but it is seen in the word of God. It's seen here. There's a heaven. There's a hell. I can't prove that. There's no way to prove that. No way. Now you can say, oh, but someone died and supposedly went to heaven for 30 seconds and came back. I'm only going to trust what's in scripture. I'm not going to look for some way to try to prove it through earthly evidence. I discern it in scripture. I'm convicted by it. And then I put my trust in it. And now my trust doesn't make it a reality. My trust grabs onto it and waits for that reality to become real, irregardless of my faith. There is faith, or there is discernment, there is conviction, and there is faith. But we have to understand faith in a right way. In a roundabout way, the curriculum, at least, whether intentional or unintentional, clearly is leading us to this kind of faith where you just pick you you choose you figure out God's will by figuring out what requires the most faith, and then somehow by your belief, it's going to come. You're going to make it come to pass. That's very problematic in my estimation. Now, I want to say so much more, but you know what I like to do? I like to stop, and I'll let you tell me what you think. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, we'll see. That should spark some conversations. That should spark something. And it also shows you a drastic difference in certain ways people approach Christianity. So I can't wait to hear what people think. Newsif at yahoo.com. News, if, yeah, yahoo.com. Nobody has said anything in the chat. Let me make sure. How are we doing on? Okay, we're doing pretty good for uh, a Monday evening. But there we go. So to complete our Bible study exercise, we still got a couple of weeks to go. Remember, word study method on the word discernment can still continue processing discernment, conviction, and faith. Discernment, conviction, and faith. How those three fit together. I've tried now a couple of times to put these together. Now I've definitely tried to put faith into this mix. And we'll continue to pursue this and see where it ends up. All right. I don't know if you can hear my stomach growling. But my stomach is telling me you need food. Because I have not eaten. So I need food. So I'm going to go find food. All right. There we go. mm. See, I want to say something else, but... Bible study exercise tells me, nope, you just put it out there. You let, the, you let that conversation build. And then if we need to, we'll come back and talk about it. All right. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6, and I believe 13 through 16. That's the text this week. You need to be living and breathing it. Living and breathing it. That's, that's always the goal. All right. If, uh, if anybody would like, again, if, you, if you're brand new, you would like to participate to Bible study exercises by using the curriculum, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Say, I want the curriculum. I send you the link. Uh, then you email me back after you sign up. It's free. We don't charge any money for it. Um, and then you can let me know. It supplements what we do. I, just in this case, I don't necessarily agree the direction they're going. I don't. It's just to supplement. It's to add sometimes a different perspective, which gets us studying. If, you want, if you're participating in doing the word study method, always email me your work, newsif at yahoo.com. And anything else we can just do to help you in, well, becoming a Bible student, actually studying the text. There's too much listening to other people, what they supposedly did with the text. 
It's trying to get you actually studying it yourself. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.